And we're back. Day off yesterday from Marlins baseball. Probably needed after that ending to the Marlins Blue Jays series, but that entire series was just a roller coaster. Much needed day off for the Fish yesterday. Now they get ready for their first home series, actually at home in Miami, against the Braves. The first place Marlins look to hold on to their one-game lead over the Braves in the NL East. Wow, did I not think I would be saying that. And the Marlins are positioned pretty well to catch the Braves at the right time. That's something I'm going to get into. I'm also going to talk about the Marlins' acquisition. It seemed like in the middle of the night last night, the Marlins decided to go out and get another arm that could help them in the meantime. I'm going to talk about him. It's Jesus Tinoco from the Rockies. I had said in the previous episodes that the Marlins should maybe consider going to get another low-cost bullpen arm. This is an interesting option, too, because he's not a rental like some of these other guys. I think the Marlins are going to try to unlock something with him, so I'll get into Tinoco as well. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. So Marlins Braves, three-game set in Miami, going to be a wild one. You just know it is. You already know it is. Big thing for the Marlins, though, is no Ronald Acuna. Of course, you'd never want to see Acuna get hurt. He's one of the future stars, already a star in this game, and I love to watch him play. You want to beat the Braves at full strength, but the Marlins will take any help they can get right now, given that they are nowhere near full strength. But the Braves are pretty banged up, too. We know the unfortunate thing that happened with Mike Soroka tearing his Achilles, another just devastating injury to baseball in general, not just the Braves and Braves fans, because Soroka was another young up-and-coming pitcher that has been a pleasure to watch as well. And it's a shame that he had his season cut so short when it was already cut short. We just hope that Soroka can be back for the start of next year and that there's no permanent issues with the Achilles. And, you know, that's really tough for pitchers. You don't see it very often, so there's not much of a sample size to see what the recovery could be. Acuna dealing with a sore wrist, Ozzy Albies dealing with a sore wrist, so the Braves are definitely not at full strength. Austin Riley has been struggling at the dish, but you just know that Freddie Freeman is going to just wake up in this series and go off because he loves to just torment the Marlins, and that's going to be something that the Marlins are going to have to be wary of because what better time for Freddie Freeman to really get going than a three-game set in Miami with the Marlins having just a shell of their pitching staff, though, until this J-Series, that pitching staff was holding its own. So I'm going to talk about some of the pitching matchups first, how the Marlins stack up, and what we can expect. So first is tonight's matchup between Kyle Wright and Pablo Lopez. I think it's obvious you look there, it's advantage Marlins in the pitching column right there. Kyle Wright, former first-round pick out of Vanderbilt, There were some high expectations for him, and he has not met them. It's been even worse for him at the big league level. Has not gotten any better this year so far. 0-2, 6-7-5 ERA, 12 innings pitched. He has walked 10. And that's something the Marlins need to use to their advantage because they've been patient at the plate. We've seen it, and that's something that this team has to do because you're not going to be able to count on them hitting top to bottom in this lineup. I know Jesus Aguilar has been on fire. Brian Anderson's been swinging a good bat. You just can't count on being able to score runs with just situational hitting all the time. Take the bases as you can get them. That's how the Marlins got Nate Pearson out of the game. That's even how they got Jacob deGrom to throw more pitches than he needed to and get him out of the game, though they did drop that one against the Mets. So make 
Kyle Wright throws strikes, get into hitters' counts. That's what you want to see. And please, please, unless the situation really calls for it, I'm talking to you, Jonathan VR. Do not swing 3-0 if you are losing with Kyle Wright on the mound. That's all I wanted to say in that regard because Kyle Wright is really struggling right now. If he throws you a strike 3-0, make him throw you another one 3-1. And if he does, that's when you can get your aggressive swing off. And you should have confidence 3-2 on a guy like Kyle Wright right now that is just really, really struggling. He did have one good outing against the Marlins last year. Gave up just one run in six innings. But that's all he's really had against the Marlins so far in his career and about everybody else he has struggled against. So that's advantage Marlins today. Then tomorrow's pitching matchup is as good as anybody's guess. It's Max Freed on the mound for the Braves and the Marlins, we don't know yet. I would maybe assume that Umberto Mejia could make start number two in his big league career. He looked good against the Mets. I'd like to see what he could do against the Braves now in Marlins Park, which gives him a little bit more space in the outfield there. He can pound the strike zone, work on that fastball-curveball mix that really was effective against the Mets, just could not really uh, keep the pitch count down. We'll see if he ends up getting the start in Game 2, because I would really love to see the Marlins do a little piggyback of Mejia and Sharp. Sterling Sharp with Mejia would be a really good one-two combo to eat up a ton of innings. Those two could maybe pitch the entire ball game if you want to stretch them out about four innings apiece. And that would probably be a pretty effective duo for the fish. You got Mejia who throws a fastball that he likes to really locate well and a nasty breaking ball. Then you have Sharp who generates a lot of ground balls, pounds the strike zone and pitches to contact a little bit more. I would love to see those two piggyback off of each other. You could end up saving the bullpen a lot. And also, you have two pitchers that are Swiss Army Knives in the way that they could probably be starting pitchers. They could probably be relievers. I think I've been lobbying for Sharp to get a start. But this would be a good little audition to see how much you could stretch him out. I would love to see a little Mejia and Sharp piggyback and see how long... They can take you into the ball game, how deep they take you, and then see where you go from there bullpen-wise, even if you need to at all. Game three, Eliezer Hernandez would be my guess to make the start. The probable for the Braves is Tuki Toussaint, obviously a local kid. Actually got a chance to face him in high school. He was pumping like 93, 94. There were scouts from like every big league team there, and we actually knocked him out of the game with a little Texas leaguer. Got a run home, and he hit his 50-pitch count for that ball game. As for his professional career, it's been a little bit of a rocky road. He's put up some really good numbers at times in the minor leagues. Then he comes up to the majors, flashes some decent starts, really struggles, gets sent back down, he'll really struggle, get sent back up. Then he's pretty good. It's, it's It's a mixed bag for Tuki Toussaint, and he's a player that I really want to like because he's got a good personality, he's exciting, he's, he's got a lot of energy he plays with on the mound, but he just really has not been able to refine that stuff and be as consistent as he can on the mound. The Marlins should be able to put up some runs against him. He really has not been too effective in this season so far and against teams in the NL East in general. One last little note on Max Freed, who is set to pitch in Game 2 of the series. He struggled in two starts last year against the Marlins, 0-1 with a 6-6-5 ERA. So even though it's advantage Braves in the pitching category there, and Freed is an improved pitcher this year, 
Marlins actually hit him pretty well last year and might have a chance to put up some runs against him. So the pitching matchups are not bad for the Marlins given the circumstances. They get Pablo Lopez to throw in this series, who is really their only true starter in the rotation right now. And even though you can make the case for Eliezer Hernandez, who I think is a very legitimate major league starter, given where the rotation was at the start of the year and where it is now, it really is just Pablo Lopez standing alone on an island. And if you can get him to pitch in a series where you really need to, at the very worst, win one out of three to at least stay tied for first, the Marlins are very grateful, I'm sure, that Pablo Lopez is good to go in this series. Then also, if Eliezer Hernandez goes in Game 3, probably the best-case scenario pitching matchup-wise given the circumstances. Marlins just need to tread water until they get their reinforcements back. Sandy Alcantara apparently getting closer to returning. Of course, they're going to have to build up some innings again and get ready to go, which is going to be a little bit frustrating to watch. But the Marlins, and I know Marlins fans, will take that as long as they're back. You just want to see them get stretched out, especially when they're pitching well. And seeing Pablo get yanked in his first start was frustrating because of how well he was pitching. But you got to play it safe. As we talked about, Mike Soroka, you don't want to see anything like that happen. The Marlins offense, real quick, before I get into Jesus Tinoco, Marlins offense has been great. No secret there. And largely thanks to Jesus Aguilar. Aguilar's last five games, 429, 478, 667, 216 WRC+, plus, one home run, pair of doubles. But perhaps the most impressive thing this year from Aguilar is on the entire course of the season, he has only punched out 11.8% of the time. That is in the top 6% in the big leagues. And Aguilar has never been a gigantically concerning strikeout guy, but he definitely gets up there certain seasons, even in his all-star season, struck out a little bit, but never crazy. He has really good back control. We've seen him for such a big guy, really able to hit balls out of the zone, really able to make contact on a lot of difficult pitches, goes the other way so comfortably. And he's really not going to light it up exit velocity-wise for a guy who's 277 pounds, but he strikes the ball hard to all fields, and he gets a good launch angle on it. He reminds me a bit of a poor man's Nelson Cruz, and I really have enjoyed watching him play. This has been a huge addition for the Marlins, and it's safe to say at this point that Aguilar is the... Jesus Aguilar that we saw in 2018 because he never really showed flashes of this when he was struggling after that. It seems like he's recaptured it. He's playing with confidence. You can just see it. He's excited. I think it's a great situation for him where he feels like he's the veteran of the ball club. That's got to help with your confidence having players all come to you. I know that he has been a big resource for a lot of the young players and really it's just been paying off for him and the Marlins and this has been good to see for a player that was one of the best offensive hit guys in all of baseball in 2018, fell off, and now it looks like he's recaptured his form. The Marlins may have just picked up an all-star, really, for relatively nothing. And that is really big for the Marlins. Brian Anderson, of course, has been fantastic. I've been so happy to see him really come together. We knew that Anderson was going to make strides this year. He finished last year really strong. The injury cut the end of the season short when he was on a torrid stretch. Now he is continuing to hit for power, drives in a lot of runs. He's a key cog in the middle of the lineup. And the Marlins have been good offensively without Corey Dickerson really doing Corey Dickerson things. And if there's one hitter that could be struggling in the lineup and I wouldn't be concerned, it would be Corey Dickerson. He's the least of my concern level when it comes to being able to just consistently hit the baseball. He has hit 
even at his worst, has been a productive player in the major leagues. Not concerned whatsoever, just needs to get going. He's a very rhythmic hitter that likes to get into a momentum of things. You see the adjustments he makes at the plate. He chokes up. He's just a very unique and different type of hitter that I think responds well to consistently playing. It was disrupted, obviously, with all of the circumstances that the Marlins had to face. I will have to tip my cap to to Magneris Sierra. Sierra has been phenomenal, really. He has made strides. This is a guy now that, like I was talking about Aguilar, I have already seen enough to be like, okay, he is definitely back. Sierra... I haven't seen enough to say, okay, this guy is different. This isn't the old Sierra. He's made some monumental changes. But you can start to look out for that. There's a chance that maybe he did. Because you look at the numbers, it's a small sample size. And that's the thing with with Sierra is sometimes in those small stretches, he does really well. And then he cools off because he can't walk and he can't hit for any power. But so far, he has already matched his extra base hit total from last year in less than half the plate appearances. And the most encouraging thing for me is that he has four free passes, three walks and a hit by pitch, and only two strikeouts. That is really important. The fact that he's already walking more than he did in previous seasons, and the fact that he's able to hit the gaps a little bit better. We know he's going to play good defense. We know how fast he is. He's been doing all the little things really well. And I want to keep seeing what he can do. I'm very much all in for a platoon type of situation between him and Monte Harrison. You know, when there's a tough lefty or even just a lefty in general, you start Monte. If there's a tough righty, that's a perfect situation to start Sierra because Sierra is the type of player that if you're facing a hard-throwing righty, you don't want Harrison facing that. Sierra can just really do anything to get on base against a hard-throwing righty break the bat, little dribbler, anything that can work. And I'm fine with that because he's scrappier against a guy like Nate Pearson, for example, where that's a better matchup for him than Sierra. So the Marlins are rolling, and it's really just been everybody contributing at certain times. Francisco Cervelli, of course, cannot forget him. I really just want to see Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison get going. This could be the series for them to do it, as it's some pretty good pitching matchups for both of those guys. But, I mean, we're getting to the point now where it's really sink or swim, especially for Lewis Brinson. So we'll see how they are able to really try to get things going in this series and how many opportunities they get. Because you've seen Don Mattingly use them for their speed and their defense late in ball games, but he he hasn't been confident to leave them in the lineup, especially late in the game when they make a start. He's been happy to pull them in favor of Matt Joyce, Sierra, or somebody else. I will say, though, with the emergence of Sierra, it is worth thinking about what the Marlins will do if Sierra continues to hit, and as some of these outfielders come back, what do the Marlins decide to do with Harold Ramirez or some of these other players? Will be interesting. See if the Marlins may end up trying to make a swap at some point this year. The chances for trades just went up a little bit with Major League Baseball putting cameras and a database from all 30 practice facilities for each team so that you can get a little bit of video on the players since you can't scout them right now. That was a really good idea. And now that might make teams a little bit more confident having seen whoever they might be trading for even though they probably have seen a lot of those guys before. It still makes things easier and more likely for a deal. I could see the Marlins trading one of their outfielders at some point. It will be interesting to see what they do it for, especially with the COVID-19 players returning. 
then of course you have the crazy waiver wire situation, which I'm going to save for another episode because we're already running it up here time-wise, and I want to get into Jesus Tinoco. I'm sure you remember me telling you about Built Bars. Well, they're back with even more delicious flavors. Six new ones, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, and carrot cake, just to name a few. It tastes like candy. They're all covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, but they're also a great option for the health-conscious person. You can lose weight or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for a keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. And if you do the purchase now, you will also get a free cooler while supplies last. Give it a try. That is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. This episode is also brought to you by CBDMD. When the Marlins bullpen has you tense, there is some great options from our friends at CBDMD. You can try CBD Freeze with menthol, which is an award-winning product offering cooling relief for your muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. There's also CBD Recover, which combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most, as I told you in the past, that is my throwing arm, and it has been a big help for me, especially with my lower back in golf too, with my big baseball overswing out on the course there. Go to cbdmd.com and use the promo code LOCKEDONMLB for 25% off your purchase of superior CBDMD oil products. That's Locked On MLB for 25% off your order. So the Marlins' new acquisition, and they made it in the middle of the night, so you all had some news to wake up to. Nothing monumental or earth-shattering, but definitely more exciting than, you know, claiming Josh Smith A and D off of waivers or James Hoyt or whoever you may, you know, remember from this bullpen right now. No offense to those guys. This is a more intriguing case with Tinoco. He's only 25 years old. He was a Rockies top 30 prospect. He was actually a top 20 prospect by a lot of different outlets. Fangraphs had him the highest, I believe, at 16. And he's intriguing. It's more of a change of scenery swap for the Marlins here. They only give up Chad Smith, who is actually the same age as Tinoco. They're both 25 years old, except Smith has not pitched above double A and only threw 18 innings in double A last year where he struggled to a mid-fours ERA. While Tinoco put up similar numbers, he got a taste of the big leagues last year, pitched at Coors Field. He's a big man, 6'4", 263 pounds, uh, easy fastball that sits 93 to 95, tops at 97. And now that he's working exclusively out of the bullpen, as he has been doing with the Rockies, 97 has been touched a lot more. The slider and curveball are his two off-speed pitches he likes to go to. The curveball a bit better, except it's a little bit easier to pick up. He likes to go to the slider more frequently right now, but the two tend to blend together. The slider is, at times, easy to pick up, and that's what Fangraphs pointed out. I watched the video for myself, and I can definitely see that from his arm angle, that he's able to get a good downhill plane, so that fastball does appear a little bit harder than it is, but also the problem is that the breaking ball has been a little bit easier to pick up out of his hands. I talk about in the past as guys like Nick Knighter are so deceptive and hide the ball well. I wouldn't say Tinoco hides the ball very well. That affects you more as a starter. That affects any pitcher, 
but that definitely affects you more as a starter as guys get more comfortable second time around the lineup as they start to see that you tip your pitches a little bit. But with Tanoko now working out of the bullpen with just one or two innings, he could actually be very effective. The Marlins, I think, here are betting on being able to unlock something with this kid. He still has one option left, so that is helpful too. But the Marlins definitely see something here. And with the swap that they just made, the Marlins bullpen instantly gets some much-needed help. One thing on Chad Smith, he did have a really good fastball with the Marlins, especially in the Arizona Fall League, where he apparently ran it up to 99 miles per hour. But speaking of the Arizona Fall League, Tanoko was very good there, where he pitched to a 172 ERA in 15 and two-thirds. He did give up and only surrendered one home run, which seems to be the trend for him. He typically gives up too many home runs. He was effective there where he only surrenders one run and nearly 16 one home run, excuse me, and nearly 16 innings. So obviously it's going to be easier for Tonoko to keep the ball in the yard, not pitching in the PCL, not pitching in Colorado a mile above sea level. That's going to definitely help him with the Marlins. He has some sinking action to the fastball and when he's going well, he is getting a lot of ground balls. So that's something that he could maybe do a little bit more now that he can have more confidence in pitching to contact in a bigger park where the ball is not going to just launch into orbit even when you feel like you made a good pitch. So maybe the Marlins really feel like they can unlock something here. Regardless, he will be serviceable and definitely an upgraded option from some of the other players the Marlins have coming out of the bullpen right now. So that is a good get for the Fish. If they can unlock something, then it'll be a steal. If they can't, he's still serviceable for the time being. But I do think that this is one of those deals where the Marlins are looking long-term if they can try to get something out of him, especially as a back-end guy. The Rockies' front office had said a lot of positive things about his breaking ball. It's really just about being able to throw more consistent strikes, as at times he does really just walk too many batters. But still, instant upgrade in the bullpen. I think the big thing for him is going to be the separation between pitches because the fastball really sits in the 94-95 range. The slider can get up to 88 to 89 miles per hour. And when he is not really as deceptive with it, it's easy to adjust and at least spoil those pitches until you get the fastball again. So he needs to get a little bit better with the out pitches, a little bit more separation between them, and get the changeup going too. He only throws it about 3% of the time. But the sinking life to the fastball, we'll see if that's something that he can learn maybe from Sandy Alcantara, pick some pointers up from him, another tall, big pitcher that uses a sinker to his advantage. Marlins get a nice little pickup here. We'll see when they decide to use him. And clearly, they're thinking about trying to win now, even though it's not the win now move you kind of like to see. It is definitely a sign that the Marlins are looking for ways to try to help this team right now and in the future. Just one little thing for reference too as well, Baseball America did their future of the Rockies type of outlook, depth chart, whatever you may call it, and they go as far as 2022, I believe. They did one for the Marlins too, and they had Tinoco as the closer for the 2022 Rockies. I know those are really just for fun, and they're just kind of fun exercises, thought exercises, but they at least put them there, so there's something there, and the Marlins see it too. We'll see when he makes his debut for the Fish. Three-game set against the Braves. First place Marlins, one game up. Some good pitching matchups 
ahead in favor of the Marlins given the circumstances. Looking forward to the series. Looking forward to talking to you throughout the series. And keep in mind also, I just did an interview on Marlins related, but if you have any interest in prospects in general, which it seems like Marlins fans do, I just interviewed Nick Gonzalez, as you may know, was an option for the Marlins to draft. We had talked about it for a while. One of my favorite options now ended up getting selected by the Pirates, seventh overall. On my other show, the brand new show, Locked On MLB Prospects, I'd really appreciate any support you can give me there. Just launched it. Really excited to be able to interview prospects from all 30 big league teams and a lot of top 100 prospect stuff. Of course, the Marlins will be discussed a ton in there with one of the best farm systems in baseball. The Twitter account is at LO underscore MLB prospects. I'll be continuing to tweet all of the latest prospect stuff from that account. Thank you very much for listening. Let's go Marlins. Let's see if they can get some separation here from the Braves in first place.